everybody. Welcome to today and welcome to Death Valley Girls podcast. I'm Bonnie and I talk to heroes about what excites them and we also talk about the mysteries of the universe. Today we have hero Anna Blumenthal of Earthquaker Devices and the band Midnight Confessions. Anna's the sweetest and it was a real honor to get to spend this time with her. She's doing something really important in the world. She believes and is making music gear accessible to everyone at every level of play because the more you can experiment with music or any art, the more you can find your unique voice and that is the most important part of being an artist and a person. Now, please welcome to your head and heart, Anna! Thank you so much for inviting me on. I love your podcast. That's crazy. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming here and for listening to the podcast. Uh, I want to start. Where where are you? In Brooklyn. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you are on a Heroes podcast uh, where I interview and just talk to heroes and people that are changing the world, which you are. Um, but I guess I was thinking about it. Uh, is that I don't actually know what you like, uh, what you do. Um, you work with Earthquaker devices. Um, yes. And I think one thing I was thinking about is most people don't realize, or and I wouldn't realize either, is that like my guitar probably makes up like 20% of my sound, and my amp maybe makes up like 20% tops of my sound, but like my sound is. 2020 60% is the pedals like I can mm-hmm. if I have my pedals I can go up to anybody else's rig and kind of get like similar to the sound I want but um I don't think people even realize that so can you talk about your relationship with pedals your what you do and all of that stuff please <laughs> yeah of course um what earthquaker devices I do sales and artist relations so I work with most or some of our independent like brick and mortar stores in the US, Canada, and countries where we don't have a distributor. So random countries all over the world. Um, And I do artist relations. So I run our artist program. We work with almost like a thousand artists, if not more of all different sizes, styles. We really value diversity and having like diversity in every sense of the word. So we want to be welcoming to every kind of musician, whether you're like very accomplished or just starting out. Um, Like us. We were baby (laughs) band when you helped us. (laughs) Now you guys are massive. Yeah, now we're toddler band. Your your new record, by the way. I can't (laughs) wait to hear it. The new single and the video are so, so good. Thanks so much. I can send it to you. you Oh my gosh, I would love that. (laughs) You guys are not a toddler band. I mean, you're you're big now. (laughs) Terrible twos. (laughs) Um, and I kind of got into pedals when I started working there in 2016. I had, I've been playing guitar since I was, um, like the summer before, uh, my senior year of high school. And I slowly got like a pedal or two, like the boss blues driver was my first pedal, but I, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always found that world intimidating. Like yeah. I thought you had to like be at a certain level or like know so much about gear And that's so untrue. In fact, pedals can like make you sound better than you are and they can like help you get to all these cool places. So 
you know, it's a real myth that like you have to be at a certain place to start using pedals. Um, and Earthquaker definitely like helped me realize that it's such a fun thing to add to your sound and you can like add a really wacky sounding pedal or just like a kind of classic overdrive or reverb to just make your tone like so much more exciting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you guys have one of my favorite pedals, the organizer. That's which my kind favorite of... pedal. No way. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that pedal. I got it about six months ago. I didn't oh, have that cool. one. Um, it's so like cinematic and like yeah. theatrical. Um, and I used to think it sounded just like an organ, but there's so many settings where it can just add like a whole lot of drama to a part. Yeah. Um, I love that pedal. That's so awesome. It's your favorite too. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I think I, I really like what you said. Cause I think before, I mean, I think there probably was like in every other part of society, there was a culture that um, different kinds of people, you had to be an expert or super advanced to have different kinds of gear and um, and not that those like finding your specific sound is what is is what everyone should seek to do and having, you know, your fun toys and all this stuff. And it's like I didn't really get super into guitar because I didn't when I started because I didn't know about pedals and it just wasn't my sound like my guitar through like a clean you know, but loud like Fender amp. It just that was not my sound. And I didn't know how other people really had other sounds. I knew like I love Tony Iommi, but it didn't occur to me that it was like, you know, you just think it's the guitar. You don't know it's the pedals and you don't know that then there's so many layers of like messing with your stuff and making it really customized. But it's like, yeah, there was just this there was a culture where there's only a few pedal companies. They're not trying to meet different kinds of people, including non-male people and it was really hard to like get into that sort of scene and I feel like companies like yours that are like really 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 cool and and diverse and like um want to get unique sounds like you work with a harp player I love you work with so many different people I love but it's just like it's such a cool thing that it's accessible to find your sound and it's like it took me like 10 years of playing guitar to even realize that I liked it because I just didn't like that clean sound and I you know you can make it as loud as you want but it's just it doesn't it wasn't my sound until I got that like first you know whatever like distortion uh pedal and then I was like oh this is my sound um but that's cool yeah do you so your your first pedal was the was distortion too yeah, and I didn't know anything about pedals. I don't even remember, like, where I got that or why. I think someone yeah. just told me that's, like, a good pedal to get, and I just got it. And, yeah, I liked it. I don't think it was, like, that thrilling, but I, I hate the same <laughs> tone like you. Like, hate, I need gain. Like, I need distortion. I hate a clean tone. So I think I just used that to, like, beef up my sound a little, but I also always had, like, amps with distortion. So I didn't really to be honest, spend any time figuring out like pedal distortion versus like amp distortion. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it was like sort of like pre-internet and you just kind of, I don't know, made guesses or, you know, I don't think I like knew that many people that were that into pedals. And I, <laughs> yeah. 
I don't even, I don't think I spent that much time thinking about like my sound. We would, I played gigs in New York and no one wants to bring gear because you're like on the subway. So you yeah. just use like the amp that's like at the club. And, um, but then like, especially when I started at Earthquaker, I started thinking so much more about my sound. And um, also like, it can be like you said, this 10 year journey, but it's like, you're never like done. You're, it's always yeah. fun to keep figuring it out more and more and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and adding things. So, you know, it's kind of the, the fun part of it is like never being quite satisfied. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, for me too, is like, um, yeah, it's starting as how I like to have like a simple instrument in the beginning, like just an organ or just, uh, you know, and get all, all of the sound through pedals, but I'm sure other people just like put on a tiny bit of reverb, a tiny <laughs> bit of whatever. And it's just, and then some people have like 20 pedals and, you know, they probably only use three, but, uh, or they <laughs> use them all. I have no idea, but I realized that I was just like looking through, cause I was right before I talked to you, I was like, what is the history of pedals? Like when were they invented? Why were they invented? And it, it's funny. It's like, I guess it. Lo I looked back and it was like when, um, because guitar used to be pretty like rhythmic or is a rhythmic instrument. I guess it maybe still is. But then when you're playing over jazz bands uh, to compete in sounds, they started wanting to make them louder. And I thought that that was super cool is uh, said that like Keith Richards used it. And that's kind of what popped it off for everybody is wanting a pedal. But uh, he used it to like mimic the sound of horns, which is so cool to me because that's like that's what a solo is and and it still kind of is today is like even though it's turned into so like a guitar solo has turned into so much it like is mimicking the idea of like a horn section and it's so cool you know <laughs> so cool just to yeah be able to like sound bigger than just a single person with a single instrument it's so cool yeah. yeah and also I think I don't know if you know the stats on this just curious but it's it seems like there aren't that many, like, I don't know what the deal is, but there aren't that many pedal companies. Like, there are a ton of small ones because okay. pedals are something that like people can make at home, like in their yeah, yeah, much but more like, easily than like guitars and amps. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I know a lot of people have like custom ones, but it seems like as far as like the ones that you can dependably get at any store in any, I'm talking, you know, like any store yeah. in any town, uh, it seems like there's only like five companies really. And it seems like you guys are one of them. And I wonder like, yeah, how long, how long have you been open? And like how, when it seems like since I talked to you or since we met, which I don't remember, I think was 2018 or 17. It's yeah. been that way that you like, cause every studio we go in, everywhere you go, every musician you meet has one of your pedals. Uh, oh, it's not like, so awesome. yeah, it's <laughs> not like a, some secret, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I think it's super cool there. I think it's a really hard, obviously like all stuff, music is harder than people think it is in every level of mm. every part of music, but becoming <laughs> a music instrument company seems like something that you don't see that every day. So yeah. When did you guys start? And do you mind uh, talking oh about yeah that? no of course well um it's run by a married couple Jamie Stillman and Julie Robbins who are amazing they're just like the best people 
Um, Jamie started it in 2004 by himself. Um, That's not so long ago to be like a staple. Yeah, I mean, we're like, you know, it's awesome that we're one of the bigger boutique pedal companies um, because we hand build all of our pedals in Akron and it's not like made in like a factory overseas and it's, you know, like 40 people at the company. It's like a family. So I think the whole company is pretty rare. Like everyone is amazing there. Everyone really enjoys working there. Like every day I'm like pinching myself. I actually really enjoy my job. That's so cool. Rare, you know. Um, So yeah, Jamie started the company. Julie ended up like leaving her job at a bank. Um, I forget at what point, but a couple of years later to help him like get it off the ground. And they slowly started adding employees and, you know, moving into like a bigger space, like from his basement into a shop, a bigger shop, a bigger shop. Um, Now we have like a second building. So it's grown a lot, like exponentially. And um, yeah, it's a fantastic place to work. It's just, um, I think the people make it great, but Jamie has this you know, unique vision. And he always just makes the pedals that he personally wants. And it's like worked out so well. Like people really dig all of his creations. And I, I understand yeah. fun. And, you know, they always sound great and they're unique in some way, even if they're like a classic effect, he put some kind of spin on it. It's like, yeah, you to make something that's already available. No, it's totally unique. Like all of your pedals are super unique. So there's some of them are like, I got one and I was like, this is like going to take, I don't know, like five years for me to even figure out any, it like, I don't even, I won't say its name because I don't want it to know I'm talking about it, but it's like the (laughs) most complicated thing. And I'm like, it doesn't sound like what you would think in any way. And I'm like, that's so cool. Someone invented this, but is there like, (laughs) you guys have like really, really, really good, um, reverb and delay stuff and, and, um, what is it called like I guess like overdrive or distortion whatever but what what do you think your specialty is (laughs) I think people sort of think of us and they think of reverbs because the avalanche run is like one of our sort of signature pedals and that's stereo reverb and delay with tap tempo and it has reverse delay and um that's probably one of our most unique and popular pedals okay astral destiny a couple of years ago it's like a modulated reverb um and with octaves and um yeah. so you know i think the dip and the dispatch master is like a that's like a really straightforward pedal but it's reverb and delay and it's super usable like there's no bad setting on it um so i think people sort of think of us with our reverbs although lately like we just put out the third version of the life pedal which is a distortion and octave pedal that we do with the band sun oh and yeah I, I saw that congratulations that's oh, so cool thanks. yeah we love um we love working with them and the life pedal has been a big hit so i think now people might kind of think of us about like overdrives because the plumes and the special cranker that we do are also really popular those are two 99 pedals that we make so um you know i think it sort of runs a gamut because we have a pretty like wide variety of pedals and yeah I, was I, just, I don't even know if we're known for like one thing anymore yeah no I was just curious just how like someone's like 
what kind of music do you make? You know, like, yeah. what kind of band are you? It's like, what kind of pedals? Oh, right. are you? So <laughs> hard to like say one thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's so cool. Um, yeah. And also I would like to say that, um, well, two things is one, your art is like perfect and insane. Uh, is there, is there like an, a specific artist that does? Yeah, we work with Matt Horak, who's like, okay. he does like comics for, um, Marvel like he's this amazing comic book artist we did a couple Earthquaker comic books that he drew that were like incredible so he's super talented he does the artwork for our pedals Jamie does some of it too um they're Jamie all like a graphic designer before he started Earthquaker okay. they you know a lot of people at Earthquaker are very talented like in regards to art and design and so yeah um, well I, I was gonna say yeah, my second part is that you guys send the most amazing Christmas cards of any <laughs> company in the whole wide world. I'm shocked to learn that there's like a thousand people because every year it's like fully covered, like beautiful <laughs> art that's like uh, individualized, obviously. And I'm like, because also I live with people in bands so like I can see the other ones that they get and I'm like oh, I'm so good um but I think that that's so cool that you do that because like yeah I guess I just think it's really hard like when you're a, a boutique company that's like small but it's also big and like I I don't know like I don't think you lose any of your like street cred or whatever for being big but I I wonder sometimes when you're like growing you notice how big you've gotten um and how much of an effect you have on the artists and like on you know and just that idea of someone like having access to this now and spending hours like before you can really play anything you can like before you can play guitar you can play with pedals like before you are like like good at um and it gets you to be good so it's like Instead of how when I learned they're like, start with an acoustic, it'll make your hands strong. And you're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. But like, you just like, you know, grown through it. But it's like now, that's why I turned to like um, synths and like <laughs> stuff like that. Because I was like, oh, you can just press this one thing and then play with that. And it's like, you don't have to be strong or you don't have to, you build your strength by building your creativity instead of having to build your strength before you can get creative, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think it's so cool that now that there, you know, people know about it, it's all over. Like you guys are um, open to everyone and everything is that now there's just people that are like, what their idea of learning how to play instruments is changing. And I think that's so cool. That's so cool. I think like, a pedal like the arpenoid that we make that's like an arpeggiator it makes you sound like much better than you are you could play like one note and then there's like an arpeggio so you know those things are like tools to inspire and I think that sometimes like when I talk to stores they're like oh we have a lot of beginner guitar players like what's a beginner pedal I'm like you know it could be like a regular reverb but could be like a really crazy one because if you don't know yeah. how to play that much stuff, it might be like way more fun if you have a pedal that makes all these crazy sounds that you can't create on your own. So I don't even know what a beginner pedal is, you know, right? Whatever 
whatever you're interested in. Yeah, because you can also it depends. Like, I mean, everyone's so different. But to me, it wasn't wasn't important to write a song, but it was really important to not just practice chords you know, or like practice like my fingering. I was like, I don't I mean, I didn't have like a guitar teacher or anything, but I knew what you have to do to learn how to play an instrument. I was like, this is so like if I had a song or something that I was into or something I was working on or, you know, uh, it would just be so much more fun. And I think, uh, yeah, I wish I had something like that where, yeah, like an arpeggiator where you can just write a song so just like intuitively and then, you know, just spend hours and hours and hours like perfecting your first song and then moving on um, <laughs> but I guess and this is so like amateur hour question but do, does Devo have any pedals I know they're from Akron yeah we actually were working with Mark Mothersbaugh um, <laughs> we partnered with him this was like early in my earthquaker okay years, but <laughs> We did something with him, some like exclusive line of pedals for the Akron Art Museum. That's so um, cool. So it was like when I started, so I don't really remember the details. But yeah, we have worked with him. Okay, good. It's like a lot of awesome like Akron musicians. Actually, I mean, so many people like at Earthquaker and like a million bands and there's so many talented musicians there. But yeah, Devo, hometown pride. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And are you, you're from New York or you're... Yeah, I'm from here and I I used to work at Guitar World magazine for a long time and that's when I met the Earthquaker team. Oh cool. Um so when they hired me, they're like, Yeah, you can stay in New York because I'm like New York under the bone. I'm like never yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I was just thinking about and I you know main drag music. Yeah, my band's playing there in January, actually. No way. That's yeah, so I love cool. that store. Yeah, tell Carl I say hi. I asked him to come on here because that's that's another oh example. To, yeah, I asked him. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, go check out Main Drag in New York. Yeah, amazing music store in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's so that's another place that started like where it was like smaller. That's where I, I mean, I would go there like every. I don't know why, but like every four months, I'm like, I'm going to play bass instead. And I'll go like be obsessed with it for a few days and like trying to find the perfect one. And then I finally am like, nah, I'm over it. But it's like, <laughs> I, you know, I, but so I used to, he was, that was the first place I did that. I would go there all the time. And now he has like a huge store that has the best gear. Is yeah. that wrong? No, that's right. He's moved a couple times okay. during the <laughs> pandemic. They moved around the corner. Oh, okay. And now in the new space, the new space is awesome and they have this basement that's like a dungeon it's like all exposed brick and like super super high ceilings and they have bands play down there now which yeah. is awesome and i think they have clinics like they've had like pedal clinics yeah um, so it's so that's cool so that they have cool. an event space that's amazing yeah that's like one of my favorite like just success stories, you know, just seeing someone grow so much and, and be a dad now and go on adventures with his kids. I'm like, that's so cool. But yeah, that's like, we have, we here we have future music and oh, yeah. we have like, um, future music is where we go to get our stuff fixed, but we used to go to main track, <laughs> you know, and that's so, that's so cool. Um, and that just like, look at things, you know, and be like, Whoa, like I know it's oh. so fun to just go there and play all their guitars and yeah, yeah they have a great selection a lot of really cool like vintage amps 
Yeah. What do you, do you have a favorite guitar or favorite amp? I have my favorite guitar is I have the Joan Jet Melody Maker that Gibson made for like a minute, maybe cool. 10, 15 years ago. They don't make it anymore. Um, but it's such a small, light body that it's like yeah. ruined me for, I can't play any other guitar anymore. Um, totally. <laughs> I love that guitar. And I have, I have a Fender um, supersonic amp that I like and a Marshall. I kind of like love like Marshall distortions. I have little Marshall solid state, but I had one for a long time then it died. And then I bought one on Craigslist for like a hundred bucks. Like they're so cheap. Whoa. Um, So I use those. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is like, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I really like small amp sound. Like, (laughs) like, why? (laughs) why have I been doing this for 20 years? But I have like a music man amp. That's like so heavy. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it could even be that heavy. And there's like these like spikes that come down in the back. So if you pick it up, you get like bitten. It's like this ridiculous thing. It sounds so good, but it's like, I'm kind of like looking at those, like, yeah, solid state small. And I'm like, Ooh, like, I like your sounds. Like, why was I such a, brat about like having to have vintage gear having to have you know like um because yeah Yeah. like back in the day it was like so important to me to have my gear be like you know like exactly what somebody else used but now I'm like so far away from that um and when we tour in Europe they like tried to they gave me a Farfisa that was completely broken so I just used a Casio like (laughs) just like a regular like $80 $80 Casio and I was like this is getting the job done why have I been so and it had a like a duct tape on the back that had in sharpie written Casio and I kept it on there I was like this is so <laughs> stupid but like yeah I don't know I've become yeah like less obsessed with stuff and more obsessed I guess with sound which is funny uh it's a and funny twist on dance is important I mean you have to be realistic like like if you play a gig and it's like downstairs and I live on the third floor and like who wants to carry a heavy amp up and down like before and after a gig like it's it's no fun so nobody wants to find, do it. yeah lighter thing that sounds good yeah there's no shame in that no there's not and it's yeah it's just funny like I was just super hellbent on using these like whatever for whatever reason it wasn't even the sound it was just like this looks cool or what whatever it is and now I'm like oh wow I really like different kinds of sounds and that Casio isn't that bad and you can use it through like these pedals and it sounds amazing oh but sorry really quick going back to your art is like of all the pedals we bring on tour um which is like I don't bring that many I I just use like three like I I have a AB pedal for the keyboard and uh guitar so that's like one and then the tuner and then they'll have distortion if I have like another extra one for fun of yours everyone's like what is that and I'm like it's so cool looking right <laughs> um but well I did want to ask you uh of of a topic oh that's the dog shaking to get down oh, Hold no. on. sorry you want to go down you could go down there you go um I do want to ask you as a, a for the paranormal aspect of this podcast um, is uh, so your your parents or your dad wrote uh, a children's book about UFOs. 
Um, my parents wrote a children's book together okay. about UFOs because my mom writes children's books. So cool. And she's written some novels and young adult books. And my dad wrote a book about John Mack, who was this Harvard psychiatrist who was researching the existence of UFOs. And that book came out, I forget now if it's last year or the year before, because the pandemic has like, yeah. lose all track of time. <laughs> um, so they kind of brought their like writing styles together and wrote a children's book about UFOs that's coming out next year. That's oh. available for pre-order now called <laughs> UFO. <laughs> Yeah, UFO. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so cool. Is so is your so both your parents are writers. Yeah, my dad wrote for the New York Times for 45 years and he wow. left full time in 2008, but he still writes freelance for them. And my mom wrote for the Times for a while. She's been a freelance writer and then for the past bunch of years she's been writing mostly children's books, but then some young adult and adult novels. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Do you feel like, uh, I just always wonder, I mean, I guess they worked for papers and stuff like that, but the work ethic of a writer, I can't imagine, um, like, can you talk about growing up around that and what effect, if any, that has on your work ethic? Yeah, well, um, for my mom, she's like, basically been freelance since she was pregnant with me. So she's super self-motivated because she's like working from home all the time, which is up to her when she's going to work. So she's really motivated. Um, Does she like create her own schedule or how does she do that? I'm always just like curious how people are artists. I'm like, how do you do it? (laughs) I know it's, I mean, I think she's gotten into routine because she's been writing children's books since my sister was little. So for at least, I mean, for a long time, I forget when she published her first children's book, but it it could have been like 25 years ago now. Um, So I think, you know, with children's books, she writes them and then she pitches them around. So she doesn't even have someone like waiting for them. It's up to her to come up with the idea and write it. Um, And it's hard to come up with. I think it's hard to come up with ideas. I mean, she's written, she's probably had like, over 20 children's books published. Wow, that is crazy. I That like writing a book is not, I mean, I don't just imagining is like, um, writing a book is like the hardest thing. I don't, I think it's so much harder than people think because it's not just writing a book. It's like, yeah, like pitching it, um, defending it, um, yeah. giving it away, waiting for it to come out, like having to work when it comes out. Uh, just like a record is like you write it and yeah. it could take like five years for your book to get out. I think. Yeah. And then promoting it because like, just like being in a band, you have to like promote it and you're like your own promotion machine. And that's really hard. Cause if it's like a small publisher, they don't have a big promotion budget, like a small record label. So it's like up to you and it's, you know, a band could tour, but as a writer, you're, you know, you do some like local readings at like libraries and bookstores, but yeah, you know, it's hard to get the word out. So um, every step of the way is like a challenge. And I guess you have to really like love it to do it. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. I was like, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm just looking okay. at the doc. Uh, recently, I was like, I'm going to write a book. Like, I'm going to write a book. It's I write so much. And 
you know, like I write every day, I should just write a book. And then I like <laughs> talk to some like uh, editors and publishers and they're like, well, it's not really like that. They're <laughs> like, you have, this has to, it's like a full-time job. Like writing a book isn't, cause I thought like, oh, people, I write during the day and then I, <laughs> you know, do the rest <laughs> of my life. But it's like, no, it's a full-time a full-time job until it comes out just like yeah like a record but even worse almost like because if you're gonna get money behind it you it's a real job it's not like art or something where you're like here's my book like yeah. you choose it you know um and so does have can I ask I mean maybe this is too personal but uh what does your dad think of like like, is he happy that he's not writing at the New York Times the last couple of years? Or is this like, would he, is this something he would have liked to like sink his teeth into? Well, he's been writing freelance pieces for the time since he left uh, as like a staff writer. So he's been writing a lot of pieces on UFOs for the time. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, my dad is still like super busy. And even though he doesn't have like a full-time job there, he does have a full-time job at a college here like working in their archives doing research so he's definitely still like really busy but um he he wrote the piece that went viral about the navy pilots that saw like oh, wow. identified objects in the air and they were like they had the footage of them like in the planes like freaking out like yeah um so, so do a lot of work on that over the past bunch of years so is he i mean so he's like the go-to guy for that type of story or does he have to push those stories into the news how, I don't really know how that works he and a couple other people collaborate on a lot of them there's a woman Leslie Keen that he works with a lot um you know I think it varies like for every story it's not like there's one approach but you know often he has an idea and he has to pitch it to them um I don't know if they I don't think the times really like assigns him stuff that he, I think he has a lot of ideas. So he comes to them with a lot of his ideas and, you know, they're all like really interesting because there's so much interesting stuff about UFOs now. So, um, you know, he basically pitches his ideas to them now. That's so cool. I never even thought about that before. Like the politics and stuff of what goes in the newspaper. I just, you know what I mean? Like I never, that's not something that, um, occurs to me but I feel like now it's so must be so tough for them to choose what to put in because there is so much stuff going on um, yeah and people are pitching freelance writers are pitching the times like tons of articles every day you know so I think they have a lot to like wade through I mean I pitched them articles I wrote a piece for them a long time ago but you know they you're getting ideas from people who doesn't want to write for the times? so people right. are always pitching them things so you know, I think it's really competitive. It's hard to get in there, but um, my dad's done like pretty, pretty well, I guess. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So can I ask you, um, it, for your whole life, your dad has believed in UFOs or does he have, has he had an experience? He has not had an experience. I don't think he thought much about it before he started working on this book. Um, okay. But he, he wrote an article, I think, about John Mack and then like 16, 18 years ago. And then he started working on the book. But he says, if you say, do you believe in UFOs? He's like, do you believe in this table? It's not a matter <laughs> yeah. of belief. It's like, 
there's something out there that we don't like understand. Yeah. It's not a matter of like believing it's like it exists. Something is exists. And um, he's read so many accounts of people who are like upstanding members of society. They're not like freaks and weirdos who have had like remarkably similar experiences, hundreds, thousands of accounts. So it's not like these people aren't making it up because they have nothing to gain by telling these stories because they're often ostracized. Like, you know, they're not- They have a lot to lose. Yeah, they're not making money from it. You know, a lot of them are like really shaken from what happens. Um, And then there was like the story, I think it was like in Kenya, and I forget what year it was, 80s or whatever. But before there was like the internet, there was like this village where all these kids didn't have, there was like no internet, no TV. And all these kids reported seeing like a UFO landing. They all drew pictures of like the aliens. And it's like what we think they look like. But they had no pop culture references. Yeah, that's my Facebook cover photos, those kids holding up their drawings. Oh my gosh. So yes, you know, so that's (laughs) like, they didn't make that up, you know? So you hear things like that and it's pretty hard to doubt that there's something out there. Totally. Well, I, I, I mean, I a hundred percent believe, uh, because because I do, I think it's fun. (laughs) It's improved my life. And, uh, and I know it to be true, whether or not it, what it is, I don't know where right. it comes from. I don't know when it comes from. I don't know, but I know it to be true. But I'm curious, is that like, like in the sense where if I said like, like if I said to my parents, like, do you believe in aliens? They'd be like, come on, no way. You know, like <laughs> where it's just like, no, that's not real. Um, I just wonder what it's like to like. So for the since you've probably not lived at home, has he, like, has your, I mean, are they, are your parents open-minded to different types of, which is funny that this is being open-minded and not just, yeah, like a, it seems silly to think that, you know, it doesn't exist, but like, are they, you know, open-minded to things? Has this had any effect on your um, life in any way? Is it, seems like you're Um, super proud of them. Um, Yeah, I am super proud. They're, I, I, I like aspire to be like a published writer like they are. Okay, um, cool. So there's, yeah, a lot to be proud of. Um, you know, I mean, I think that my dad went into the whole topic with like the attitude of an investigative journalist, like withhold right. judgment, ask questions, research. Right. And then like based on the evidence, he just like, I don't, you know, I don't think he ever went into it like, oh, they don't exist. He was just curious. Right. Um, But now he's like heard so many accounts of people's experiences and read so many books. Like he's been doing endless research for his book. And even since then. Um, So I feel like they're pretty open minded. And it's it seems like, yeah, there's just stuff that we don't understand. But just because we don't understand it and we haven't experienced it ourselves does not mean there's nothing out there or like, you know, there's just been too many accounts of like unexplained things to brush it off. Yeah, no, totally. I just, I guess like, um, everyone has such a, I'm just, I guess my, my fascination is like a lot of people grew up in religious homes that have 
pretty supernatural beliefs to me you know <laughs> like a lot yeah. of people grew up everyone grew up that's here you know and they yeah. <laughs> there's all these different ideas and I'm just kind of starting to realize that like your family is sort of like a cult, like you have a belief system um, and you kind of some families belief system is that other families are wrong. <laughs> other yeah, families like right. are weird or crazy or wacky yeah. or um, their belief system isn't true. Your it's like a cult. It's so strange. I never really thought about it that way. But so I'm just yeah. curious of um, growing up in a system of believing others and um you know and just open-mindedness not not to say that uh and also what people think is open-minded because I do think like if you didn't I've said this before and I don't mean any offense to anyone but if you didn't grow up with like Christianity that that story seems silly if you didn't grow up with like Judaism like that story these all they all seem you know I don't know if silly is the right word, but it's, it's, if it's not your perspective, it's, it's supernatural. Like it's just, you know, it, it's supernatural stuff. If it's not your perspective, it's mythology. Um, yeah. And so I think uh, that this kind of idea of just growing up, um, believing in all sorts of things and, and at the root of it being like, and we don't know what it is, is really interesting. And I think it's gonna, that, that cult is really going to take off the, we, you know, we don't know yeah. what it is cult of like, we're curious, yeah. open-minded, um, but we don't have the answers, which, you know, is, is freaky, but uh, is that's, that's the cult I'm in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder if we're going to like learn more in our lifetimes, you know, like, you know, I think it's like, up to the aliens that we have not seen them or that only certain people can see them. Why can some people, why do some people have experiences and others don't? We have no idea, but like, are we gonna find out who has an experience or why, or are they gonna make their presence known to everybody? Like, I wonder yeah. in our lifetimes how much we'll learn. I don't really know, but my 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 dear friend and the, um, the Yvonne Smith, who's uh, uh, been on here a bunch, and she's a hypnotherapist to, for contactees and abductees. She's writing a book right now about that. Um, oh, really? And yeah, she's had like 30 years experience talking to people. And I think she has a few books out and they're really cool. But this one is, um, I guess it seems like within the last like i'm i'm probably not exactly right but within the last 7 years there's been this like real focus on urgency that across the board all different experiencers have had mm -hmm. um to figure out why they were chosen oh um, wow yeah and it's also been like uh overlapping with a lot of the like um past life people that are really into that where there's like um like you like this agreement for this lifetime to do this thing with them and all mm -hmm. of this stuff. But I, I will, uh, I, she's writing the book right now. Um, and I, I'm super excited for that. And I'll keep you posted about when that comes out. Cause I think like your dad or Yvonne or these people that talk to, um, so many people and just have these dots that are just start to be connected that are like, these are hypnotherapy sessions. These are not people, um, drunk like making up stories or like you know right. it's like these people's deep moments of 
honesty are all saying similar things. Um, and so I think that that's like a really good place <laughs> to do research and uh, they've agreed to do it and um, and to be part of this book, which I think is really important. And I think probably that all of these stories have been, I think, I, I think even though I'm living in a bubble and you're sort of in a bubble too, and it seems like so much is changing and then you go outside the bubble and it seems like not very much is changing. I think a lot is changing. I think people are yeah. becoming more open-minded and I think, I think the more people become open-minded, the more people listen, hear and feel and like respect other people, even if that's happening so slowly, I really feel like that's happening. And I think that, um, whereas before it was like, you weren't allowed to be different. You weren't allowed to have different differences sexually any in any yeah. way you were supposed to be one way or the other. I think now people are, um, slowly becoming accepting of those things. And I think that will be also about like people's experiences with, uh, extraterrestrials or other situations. Cause it's just like, I think we're becoming, more normal but some people more uh empathetic or I can't remember what the word is but we're becoming accepting which is a shame that it's something we're becoming but I I, I think that that will be in the future and I think it will happen when we're still alive yeah <laughs> to end that to end my very long uh <laughs> comment but I I really feel like it's happening I feel like your parents book this podcast I feel like there's many ways that it's um because, yeah, people tell us crazy stories on tour and it's like, yeah. you know, it's just like they're like, I can never talk about this with anyone else. And it's like, well, now you can. Uh, and I think yeah. that's all it takes. <laughs> I think if you start talking to your friends about it, you will find someone who's had an experience because I have a friend who said they had an experience. And it's like, it's not that rare. And I yeah. think the fact that the Times is covering it now is definitely normalizing it and like there was like a Senate committee investigating the existence of UFOs. So it's like the government's acknowledging that there might be something there. It's pretty, it's moving into the mainstream. It's definitely not yeah. as fringy an idea as it used to be. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's safe to talk about. I think there was a lot of, you know, like men in black, all of these things that do exist and are scary. I'm so sure. Um, like hmm. I think, I think that, yeah. And also, I don't think people even know, like, I think a lot of people have experiences and don't really think of them as being part of an unexplained phenomenon. But then when you kind of are like, have you ever, yeah. Have you ever seen anything like, well, yeah. that's interesting. Yes, I have. And you're like, that's what it is. Yeah. Like it's, it doesn't have to be a green guy with like giant eyes looking at you. Like, right. That's, <laughs> it could be yeah. a lot of different things. Um, yeah. But so wait, you said you're, um, uh, you said that you're playing a show at Main Drag. When are you playing a show? Yeah, January 14th. I have okay. a new band, so we it's going to be our second show. Oh, cool. Congratulations. What What's your band? The Midnight Confessions. Cool. That's <laughs> awesome. And you play guitar? Yeah, and sing. Cool. Well, uh, this will come out before then, but everybody oh, that's cool. listening, go. And is there anything else you would like to tell the world? Or the um, universe? Well, I would just encourage more people to play musical instrument. Um, 
you don't have to be at a certain level to, you know, get into pedals or I don't, I don't ever want people to feel intimidated to play like they're not good enough. Like the best way to get better at an instrument is to play with other people. And it's such a fun way to spend your time and like a great creative outlet. So I always encourage, like when my friends say their kids are starting to play guitar or drums, I just get so excited. Like yeah, three-year-old, like two of my coworkers have little boys who are about three and they're both like super into playing the drums. I think that's like the greatest thing, you know? That's so um, cool. So yeah, that's about it. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you and I love Death Valley Girls and your podcast. So it's really nice to see you because it's been a while since I've seen you in person. <laughs> yeah, you too. It's so exciting to see you and thank you so much for coming here and for um, making our earthquaker dreams come true. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, thank you for using our pedals. We're honored to be a part of your sound. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Well, I hope I hope you have a great rest of your uh, day. Or your, night here. <laughs> the rest of your night. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you, Bonnie. Okay, bye. Bye.